Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And it really does fit what Miriam was sharing with us this morning. Because we're talking about sanctification. We're talking about what it means to be made holy and, and to be brought into a, a walk with Christ that is unique and beyond the ordinary and beyond just churchianity and playing games uh, as far as, as church goes. In Romans chapter 6, we've looked at this for the past three months. So I'm going to assume that you pretty much know what Paul has said in this passage, but I hope we can kind of pull it together and close this chapter out today by talking about this. The title of the sermon is written in a mathematical formula which does not make sense. I realize that. You've you got to have a mathematical formula. You've got to have a plus or a minus or a times or something in there. But in, in, that, in the formula of the Christian life, I make the statement in the sermon, justification equals union with Christ, equals sanctification. And the equal being there is to show that it's not justification, being declared righteous, being declared forgiven by God, gives us a possibility of union with Christ, which would give us a possibility of sanctification, being made holy, being made more Christ-like, being made obedient. But in reality, the Scripture is very clear that, that justification, that legal term, whereby God declares through Jesus Christ that we are not guilty of our sins, even though we are radically guilty of our sins, but we're clothed in His righteousness and we are forgiven. That justification is not something we can say, hallelujah, we've been saved, hallelujah, we've been justified, hallelujah, we're going to heaven when we die, hallelujah, ain't this good. But it leads to far more. It leads to union with Christ. It leads to union with Christ in, a very, in what could be called a mystical way, but also in a very practical way. And that union with Christ is a growing experience that leads to a continued sanctification. In other words, if you are justified, if you are in Christ, you are in union with Christ, you have been made one with Christ, and now, and now you are being sanctified. You are being made progressively more like Him every single day. Not you should be, not that maybe someday you will be, but if you are in Christ, that is happening in your life right now, according to the Apostle Paul. Hear what he says. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I wasn't planning to, but I think I need to. What shall we say then? After he's already said in, the other, uh, in chapter 5, which all go, it all flows together, Paul is answering this thing, if sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So he says, so what shall we say then? Since when there's sin, there's more grace. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We who were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, no control over you, no authority over you, no power over you. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you're under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching of which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. One paraphraser said, I'm I'm speaking in very unpleasant terms. I'm I'm speaking as slaves, and we know slavery is an unpleasant thing, but but it really strikes home here, Paul says. I'm writing to you so you'll understand, because of your natural limitations... For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, being made holy, being formed and crafted into the likeness of Christ. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. You didn't have any. But what fruit, were you, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the Apostle Paul is laying out a tremendous truth there that we have delved into and taken apart and looked at piece by piece over the last 
two or three months. Now I want you to see it in its totality. What the Apostle Paul is saying. I want you to see the biblical understanding of sanctification. The biblical understanding of what it means to be, be, be becoming in the likeness of Christ. The, the Apostle uh, is making it clear, and, and that's been laid out by many people over the years. I, I found it interesting in looking back at, at one of the real magnum opuses of, of the Reformation that, ca- that, that was written, and that was Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, a, a great theological work on, on doctrine and on the Christian life. And when Calvin first published that book, by the way, at the age of 27... I'm 67, and I haven't accomplished a billionth of what he did in that one volume. But at 27, when he published it for the first time, it bore a significant subtitle. The Institutes of the Christian Religion was subtitled, Containing the Whole Sum of Piety. Containing the Whole Sum of Piety. Now, it was a theological work, and in in Calvin's day, the idea was to talk about the Summa Theologia, the, the whole sum of theology, the whole sum of teaching. But, but Calvin very carefully determined to name the Christ, uh, subtitle, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, the sum of all piety. Because he really wanted people to see that one of the real truths is that what we believe and how we live are tied together in absolute inseparability. You cannot separate how we believe from how we live. If we say we believe one thing and we really believe it, it will work itself out in our life. If we say we have been justified, we have been set free from our sin, we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and by His grace and by that amazing rugged cross where He died in our place. If we really believe that, then there is a union with Christ. And Paul deals with that in depth here. We are baptized in Him. We are are brought together in Him. There's a union in Christ that leads us, that works in us continuously for our sanctification, for making us more Christ-like, for building in us a different life, for making all things new within us. In the New Testament, Jesus is presented over and over again in Acts 3, in Acts 5, in Hebrews 2, in Hebrews 12 as the author or the captain or the pioneer of our salvation. Over and over it's talked about that when we are saved, Christ is the author of that, the captain of that, the pioneer of that, who works himself out through this union with him that leads to sanctification and ultimately one day will lead to glorification in eternal life. But but Paul wants us to understand the clarity that from the beginning, biblical theology has always emphasized sanctification. It's always been the end purpose we, we as Baptists through the years have sort of made the end goal justification. You know, raise your hand, walk the aisle, be baptized, join the church, and that's it. But, but biblical theology, and, and through the Reformation, this became so apparent again. By the way, uh, last Sunday we had a guest preacher, and I couldn't tell you that. I didn't tell you that last Sunday was Reformation Sunday, and Wednesday was Reformation Day. So happy Reformation Day, three days late, four days late. But through the Reformation, the clarity of that became so true that in union with Christ, the purpose and the focus of it, of that ministry, is a ministry of the Spirit. 
The Spirit indwelling us. The Spirit changing us. In Christ incarnate, crucified, risen, and glorified humanity lies the sanctification that we lack in ourselves. You know, the, the question therefore becomes, how are His sanctification and my need for it brought together? And, and Paul is dealing with that in verses 1 through 14 about as clearly as you can find anywhere in the New Testament, anywhere in the Scriptures, because Paul's logic is impeccable there. He makes six points, basically. We receive forgiveness of sins through Christ and nowhere else. We don't receive forgiveness of our sins by balancing our sins with good works, right? We know that. We we don't argue with that. We don't balance the forgiveness of our sins by being a good person. I heard somebody this week, I watched a little video that Ligonier put together when they just released their state of, state of theology in America. It's a scary report, i got to tell you. But they asked one guy, said, well, do you believe in heaven? He said, yes, I believe in heaven. Do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. Uh, so you believe in God, you believe in an afterlife in heaven. Do you think you'll be there? He said, well, yeah, I think I'm, you know, I, think I'm I don't really follow Christ, but, but I'm a pretty good guy. And I think when I get to heaven, God's going to say, you know, you were all right, come on in. No, it's only through Christ is there salvation. Paul makes that clear. So, so Paul says we receive forgiveness through Christ. Secondly, the reception of this forgiveness involves being united to Christ. We don't get it in isolation. Paul says, you were baptized into his death. We are buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death. And we believe that he was raised from the dead just as he was raised. Not we believe it, it was a fact. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too will walk in newness of life with him in resurrection power. Which Paul to the Philippian Christians said, this is my desire. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection in my life and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even to his death. Paul says the reception involves being united to Christ. Third, the the Christ to whom we are united died to sin. He died for sin. He died to sin all around him. He died on the cross as a sacrifice and a substitute. Fourthly, since we are united to him, we also have died to sin. If we really have been justified, we really have been then united with him, then we really have died to sin. I got to tell you, I'm not going to give you a list, but I could go back over the past week and I can think of one or two thousand times I sinned, probably, with attitude or action or words or whatever. That we died to sin doesn't mean that we don't still callously and ridiculously follow sin, because we do sometimes. We give in. To the one who tells us that, hey, surely you will not die. You can do whatever you want to do. Surely you will not die. Paul says we've died to sin. That is, its authority to command us to be its slave has been broken. Fifthly, if we've died to sin, we can't continue living in it. Yes, we will fall into it. Yes, we will struggle with it. But we can't live a consistent pattern of sin if we died to Christ, if we died to sin. Therefore, sixthly, we cannot continue in sin just so we can say grace can increase. There's a foolish 
Paul makes clear, a foolish uh, assertion that, well, as long as I'm sinning, grace is just being piled on all the more. That's not the statement of someone who is in Christ, in union with Christ. Justification is received by faith alone. We know that to be true. But since faith unites us to Christ as the sanctifier, justification and sanctification can no more be separated than Christ himself can be separated. They go together. One leads to the other. And so so Paul makes a point here in this passage that we are dead to sin. We are freed from sin. And, And he speaks about you know, not having dominion over us. And he talks about there's this new creation that comes about when we share in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his heavenly session as he sits on the throne. I love how Paul puts it, we are seated with him in Colossians. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. It's not that one day you're going to die, and when you die, you're going to be transmitted into his presence you will be by the way but it's not that when you die you get to go and be with Christ in his in his place in his in his session in heaven where he's ruling he says we are now seated with Christ in the heavenlies if we are in Christ if we are in him and he is in us we are where he is now you say wait a minute I'm right here in Somerset Kentucky at Grace Baptist Church I'm not seated with him in heaven yes you are if you're in him He's at work in your life, clearly at work in your life. And we will share in the promise of His return when He who is our life appears. We will also appear with Him in glory, Romans 6, 14, Colossians 2 and 3. Makes that beauty so clear. Justification equals union with Christ which equals sanctification. i got to tell you, it, it involves that old term that John Owen made so popular, the Puritan writer John Owen. It's an old-timey word. We don't use it a lot. But it involves the mortification of sin, the killing of sin within our life. Not throwing fuel on it so it'll burn hotter, but throwing water on it so that it'll be put out. And the only way you do that is through the Word and through prayer and through the presence of the Spirit in your life. You cannot mortify sin if you're not in Christ. That is just a fact of the Christian life. There's an inherent conflict, an inherent warfare, spiritual warfare that must take place in the life of every believer. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 6, you got to put on the armor. He talks about armor that was integral in the, in the Roman battle. That writing Ephesians, he's sitting there watching the Praetorian guard guarding him in full Roman garb. And he said, you've got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. He is our breastplate. You've got to put on the belt of truth and God's truthfulness. You've got you to put on the shoes 
of, of the gospel of peace. You've got to put on the helmet of salvation. You've got to carry with you the sword of the, the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the shield of the Spirit, which is faith, belief, trust, recognizing that our trust in Christ is not something that just happens at salvation, but it's something that must happen every day as we walk in sanctification. guess maybe the best illustration that's given in Scripture of this union with Christ that leads to sanctification is, is John 15. When Jesus said to his disciples, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I'm the vine that, that sinks roots deep into the earth to draw forth nourishment, that gives nourishment to the branches. I am the vine, and you are in me as a branch. You are a part of me. You are attached to me. You are, I, we are together in this thing, union in this thing. We're united together. I am the vine. You are the branches. You get the picture? Go home this afternoon and go out into your yard and take a hold of a branch on one of your shrubbery or a tree in your yard or whatever you want to do and just just whack that thing off and watch it grow. It won't grow. It will die. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't grow spiritually, you can't be sanctified, you can't grow in sanctification, you you can't serve, you can't minister. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, preacher back in my early days used to say, you know what nothing is? Nothing is a zero with the edges peeled off. That took you a while. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you abide in the vine, when you abide in me, when you cling to me and look to me and are in union with me because of my work on the cross, when you abide in the vine, he says, you bear much fruit. Paul said to the Philippian Christians that the fruit of the Christian life is the fruit of righteousness. He's not not talking about if you abide in me, then you'll see a lot of converts. You might, and that'd be great. But when you abide in me, you will bear fruit, and it is the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of Christ-likeness. The fruit of sanctification. And Paul says that's what this Christian life is all about. Now, he's going to amplify in Romans 7 and 8. He's going to amplify this idea of, of sanctification a whole lot further. It's been hard for me not to jump ahead this morning, but I've avoided. But you know what else? Because it's spiritual warfare, some of you have been in war. I never have. I thank God I never have been. But, it, but if you've ever been in war, you know that war is not a pleasant thing. You don't get up and say, hey, I get to go out and do battle today. This is so cool. No, 
You get ready and you prepare yourself, but you go at it very somberly and soberly because it's hard. But it strengthens you. It builds you up. Sanctification is not all roses and candy. Listen, that letter that Miriam read, that is a letter of sanctification. And it's born out of struggle. It's born out of heartache. It's born out of God doing a work in her life that is just phenomenal. I'm not patting her on the back. She didn't do it. God did. She didn't do it. Christ did in her because she is in union with Christ. And Christ is working something out of her. And she taught us something this morning, folks. And may God, by His grace, help us to learn it. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, Sovereign Lord, Heavenly Father, Gracious God, Loving Savior, Holy Spirit, Triune God of all creation and all sustaining power and all sanctifying power, Your grace does not set us free to do whatever we please. Your grace sets us free to live in obedience to you. It, it doesn't set us free to do what we want to do. It sets us free to do what we ought to do. We are free. But free we are not. We are free from condemnation and eternal hell but we are not freed from the practical consequences of our moment-by-moment of our -moment decisions. Lord, we know too well the bitter fruit of sinful indulgence, the vindictive word, the incautious act, the hateful thought. How, Lord, they breed sorrow, regret, remorse, and shame, and self-hatred, and breed even more sin. Father, the world, the flesh, and the devil argue strenuously and deceitfully that sin bears no consequence. The world, the flesh, and the devil tell us every day, has God really said that? No, you will not die. They always tell me that. They always tell us that. They are so good at tossing out the bait but hiding the hook. They lie. Pure and simple. The world, the flesh, the devil, they lie. And sometimes we choose to believe them, taking hypocritical advantage of your grace. But Lord, we are learning that your grace does not shield us from the practical results of our sins.
And, and thus you have given us a powerful incentive to fear you even as we trust you, to run from sin even as we cling to justification. Oh Lord, keep a hedge about us today. Keep us from sin today. Enable us to walk in the discipline of obedience today that we might enjoy the sweet taste of holiness. Lord, keep us from regretting yesterday and worrying about tomorrow. But teach us the sweet taste of holiness today. It's in the holy name of Christ that I pray. Amen.